I always explain to people, well, how good was Tevi? I said, well, you know, just to give you an idea, I think I had probably, you know, a hundred ways to shoot 65. Tevi had about 15,000 ways. The voice there of Mr. Nick Price, absolute legend of the game, who will be joining us a little bit later on on this week's episode of the Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway. Hello, welcome to the show. Great to have your company as ever. I'm Michael McEwen, for those of you who do not know me. Apologies, I sound a little bit nasal this week. I'm loaded with the cold, but that is the end of that discussion. There's loads to chat about this week, and as I mentioned, Nick Price will be on a little bit later. Top man. Absolute top man. And for me, kind of underrated. You look at his record, three major wins, world number one for, what is it, close to a year, 18 wins in the PGA Tour, Hall of Famer. Doesn't get spoken about enough, but we are speaking about and to him on this week's show. So, plenty to get to before then. However, it's been a a funny old week for golf and here to discuss it as ever. (laughs) Bunkered editor Bryce Ritchie. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you doing? Are you well? I'm fine. Excellent, excellent. What's been going on in in the the Richie world over the last week or so? Uh, The wife was away on a very middle class skiing holiday with my boy, so I was on my own all week. Very good. Bored out my skull. Oh. Yeah, I realised I'd be terrible on my own. Terrible. In Uh, what way? Well, I was seriously bored. But they went on the Friday morning, by the Sunday night I was bored out my skull. Oh, because yeah, so. you had big plans for the week, you were going to make lots of curries, you were going to uh, watch yeah. lots of television. I only made two, a couple of nights didn't even turn on the telly. So <laughs> oh really? That was kind of miserable, yeah. In bed by eight? No, about half nine. Once I've been at the gym, mm. had a shower and then just thought, what's the point? I might as well go to bed. So that window into uh, a single bachelor existence, you've you've shut that window, have you? It's not for yeah, you? Yeah, it's not for me. I think I would have to, I think if my wife, my wife left me, I think I'd probably have to just settle with anyone that would have me like get on hinge or tinder or one hinge. of those things. is hinge is hinge the one for slightly richer people is it i don't know i have or no is idea it, is it an upper class sort of thing hinge and it goes what's the other what are they called again harmony what's e-harmony, e-harmony. is e-harmony uh, tinder's just a bit tinder's where you go if you're wanting mm-hmm. you know if you're if you're free one night shall we say <laughs> you don't want any strings <laughs> attached to your week <laughs> <laughs> so you've got that. You've got Hinge. I don't really know much about Hinge. E-Harmony. It seems is E-Harmony the older lot. one? I, is, I thought there was one for like what's the one for professionals? So is that uniform dating? And then there's plenty more fish. Is that Vera Dot? I don't know. Look, I don't know. If if I was single, I, I think your I think phone hanging, would be full of apps. Well, I'd, it could be because the I, the thought of hanging around bars and things like that, yeah. just trying to pick up something that's I don't know. Well, that's how we did it back in our day. There were Pardon? no apps. Well, you, we weren't hanging. Well, to paraphrase, you used to have to meet. So somebody. you met your wife just hanging about bars. I'll hang about. You'll see if something pops up. Oh, and there's one walks. over there. <laughs> Hello, darling. I've never ever hung about a bar in my life. Yeah, I've, I've not presented that very well. Let's um, bring in Alex. Yes, Alex, Alex. Have you ever hung about a bar looking for women? <laughs> Sorry, guys. I wasn't really listening to that. I was just looking through Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's on He's not on uh, one of these oh posh God. ones for upper class. What is happening? I'm laughing because my happening? wife told me that she listens to the, the first five minutes or so of the podcast because she likes the chat and then turns off when we start talking about golf and, and whatnot. 
She'll be listening to this. I guarantee you she'll be listening to this going, I didn't walk into a bar. Not a chance did I walk into a bar. Yeah, for for a clarity, bit, I met her at work. But the point I was strange. making was that times have changed. We used to have to actually go and meet people. You had, you had to meet Yeah, you had person. to go and meet somebody. I, I, um, I, I shouldn't say this, but there was a girl in our office who was on Tinder and she got matched with someone Let's just say it was a player's caddy during the Open Championship. No. Yeah, and they they, uh, they met up and they were chatting to each other for a wee bit. And I have to say it was a rather famous player's no. caddy. Yeah, he's single. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was on Tinder. But yeah, during, during Open Week, when was that? Uh, Troon? 2016. 2016, yeah. But I'll tell you what, it's Troon again for the Open this year, so... Redownload that app. Could be. If you have deleted it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Alex, Tinder aside and whatnot, how are things with you? Are you well? <laughs> Good grief. Uh, I am well, thank you. I had a last week off for half term. Took the kids away for a couple of nights. Went to uh, The Grove, which is a the very Grove. fancy resort in northwest London. Watford, northwest, isn't it? Uh, and then we had a day in London at the Tower of London. London, comma, Tower of. Um, which is, if you're into history, really interesting. And then we, my daughter and I scaled the monument, which is 311 steps, which you think, that's not many, is it? And then you get halfway up and you think, tell me now, this. Yeah. this is absolutely ludicrous. 311 steps. How, how spiral high staircase. Very high. Spiral staircase. London, is that the one where they used to put all the, the heads of the angry Scots? When they were not, yes, I think yeah. so. Part, is that where Wallace's yeah. head went? Yes, his arms and legs went to the four corners of the of the country. As a warning. Yes. Uh, according to Braveheart, yeah. which as we know was a very historically accurate. And well, he did bonk <laughs> the, the Queen of France. so And impregnated her. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so basically. That, all that's yeah. true. Everything mm -hmm. in that's true. Mm -hmm. Entire film, bingo. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's for another time. Gentlemen, let's get to golf if we can. Tiger Woods, let, let's start there. Obviously a pretty eventful week last week for Tiger for, Why, for various happens? reasons. Well, number one, Bryce. <laughs> <laughs> let's, we'll, we'll come to the golf and the WD shortly, but let's deal with the clobber first. Ladies and gentlemen, Sunday Red is now a thing, or rather, Sunday Red. So last week on Monday, it was Tiger revealed... Something which we pretty much knew was coming if you've been following social media and various accounts, they would have exposed this already. But Tiger went public with his new clothing offering, which seems to be in partnership with TaylorMade, but it's not TaylorMade. This does seem like Tiger's gig. Sunday Red, it's polos, it's hoodies, it's jeans, shoes, shoes trousers, <laughs> dreadful trousers, gloves. It's, it's the whole lot. Which surprised me. I wasn't expecting quite as comprehensive as an, an offering as that. But first impressions on Sunday Red, Alex, what, what did you make of it when you saw it? I think my first thought was, this isn't really for me. Like, he's been hammered on social media for the clobber, hasn't he? But we need to remember that this is clothing for players in their late 40s, early 50s, headed up by a man and presumably designed by a man who is in his late 40s and approaching the seniors tour and has a history of going out in public in just the most horrific ensembles you can imagine. Just, I mean, we've all seen the pictures of him in those 
those flared jeans. And Mom jeans. This is exactly this, this is not clothing made for hip young dudes like us, is it? But hip I young have to say, dudes. All I can say is, Alex, dudes. thank you for that. You're very welcome, Bryce. It's well, what I will say is it, it's actually been brilliant, hasn't it? Like I've really enjoyed the drama surrounding it. There were, you know, we had the rumors of him splitting with Nike, then the announcement of him splitting with Nike. Then we got to have some fun speculating about who he will go with next. We had Grayson, we presumed was going to be the way forward. Then brands such as On Running, which you know nobody had heard of until this all came out. They they came out and ruled themselves out, which was just fantastic. <laughs> then of course we had this leak with it's called Tailor Made Lifestyle Ventures, I think, if I recall. And they had trademarked the the Sunday Red, and you know we started saying, "Oh, hang on, it looks like a Slazenger ripoff." And then obviously <laughs> all the discussion about why is he getting rid of the TW logo? I mean, the reasons for killing that off are hopefully pretty obvious. But then he heads over to Riviera and announces it all with a full blown press conference. And yes, the name is a bit naff, and the reasons for Sunday being two words is a bit naff. But the entire golf world and probably the wider sporting community too are talking about this, and and, and ultimately that's all he needs. And yeah, as I said, it, it, I, I don't think it's really clothing for us. I don't well, dislike it. Well, you, I just you, don't. You, I just don't think I would that. wear it. You, you say it's not for us, but as you say, it was designed by a, a forty-eight-year-old man for presumably other men of the soon-to-be senior vintage. So as part of that demographic, price, knew <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was coming. <laughs> your, was your take on it, what, what did you think of it? Listen, I like it. I like some of the stuff that he's... Uh, I like the, the some of the hoodies. I'm not a fan of some of the polos, but that's fine. There's a lot of brands out there that I don't like their polos. I'm not a big fan of the trousers. like some of the shoes. I think the bigger thing is that... <sighs> He's gone with TaylorMade because they're a huge company and they've got a, a mass appeal across the industry. Mm. The apparel market is a seriously tough market to enter. It's massive. There's so many things you've got to get right. You've got to get a retail network right or you can sell through your own website. But even that is difficult because then you've got to market it. TaylorMade have got that power. So it doesn't surprise me that you've gone with TaylorMade. And I think he's probably, we don't know the ins and outs of the deal, but I suspect a lot of it is heavily weighted towards Tiger because there's no real mention of TaylorMade in mm-hmm. the branding or anything. Although the, the boss of TaylorMade was there at the launch as a bit of a... Afterthought? Yeah, well, potentially. But they get a lot of kudos for it because they're linked with Tiger. But you mm-hmm. got to remember, Nike walked from Tiger. Mm-hmm. Correct. And Tiger walked from Nike. The two of them said actually we're quite happy to go our separate ways. Now, that's not very many brands walk away from Tiger Woods. So, TaylorMade are all in. They managed to get them to play their clubs, their ball. Still haven't managed to get them to play their putter. Mm-hmm. But no one really did. Not on any consi- uh, consistent basis. So now they've got them wearing their gear. Next best thing, basically. Yeah, but it's his gear. Um, the only thing I, I think is a bit silly is the name. But, you know, we're talking about the name. But then we would talk about Sunday Red and as well as maybe not Sunday Red. Mm-hmm. It's just something a bit, you know, marketers are always going on about a point of difference and that's maybe it. However, there's not very many people would they call their golf apparel Sunday Red, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think the, the whole splitting it into three, there's a very good marketing reason has been provided for that, but... Just call it Sunday Red. <laughs> That's what I just, yeah. I think it's a little bit overthought. It's like yeah. 
It's like they got something that was really good. I think Sunday Red as a as a brand is strong. It sounds brilliant and it's identifiable <laughs> as Tiger. Leave it as that. But don't don't well, there, dick about with it too make, much. You make a, a point there about identifiable as Tiger. There's a lot of discussion that Alex said earlier about the TW logo. You know, I, I didn't think the TW logo, logo represented much. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, it was on his head, but to be honest, yeah, people knew what it was. It didn't sell. Mm -hmm. yeah, see if true. it did. See if it did sell a ton of polo shirts and hats and whatever. People would be buying it. But I don't remember walking into American Golf or anything and seeing a TW corner. You saw a Nike corner, yeah. and I couldn't tell mm -hmm. which stuff was Tiger and which stuff was Nike. I think a lot of people forgot the TW logo even really existed until it appeared on Scotty Scheffler. And it was like, oh, look, look at that. that. He's wearing well, he's, those shoes yeah. and things like that. So I wonder if you go into these retail stores and see a Sunday red corner, mm -hmm. then that'll be a big deal. However, getting that yes. is massive. <clears throat> we know for a fact that brands like Footjoy and Galvin Green and like Travis Matthew invest a lot in retail spaces. When you go into a store, you see the representation of that brand. Yep. I've heard of one brand that kicked other retailers out because they weren't representing their brand properly with the signage and, you know, the board. The point mood, of sale stuff. Mood boards and yeah. all that stuff. So you got to get that right. So Which is expensive. That's expensive. And it's at a premium as well. There's not a huge amount which, of that space to which go Which is potentially why he's gone with TaylorMade, because they've got clout. Mm -hmm. You know, they're a big force. They're a huge force in golf. Does he so. not have that on his own, though? He's Tiger Woods. Well, he needs a distribution label, and he, need, he needs, you know, that back-end stuff. He can't just go and launch an apparel company. Go and ask Ian Poulter. <laughs> yes, yeah. very good point. Ian Poulter. <laughs> I would say Ian Poulter and Tiger Woods are you know, well, yeah, in somewhat different Yeah, planes. but I, I, I get that. But he, as someone who paid money to buy Ian Poulter's stuff, I, I bought his stuff. Mm -hmm. His trousers were great. And he was the only guy that did un, an unfinished leg. We're getting niche. But he was the only guy that did an unfinished <laughs> leg. So you could tailor that trouser to any length you wanted. And he sold a lot of really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. his, his polo shirts were, yeah, were, great. were great. Some of his stuff was really cool. He couldn't sell it. And it cost them money. Cost them money. A lot couldn't, of money. Couldn't distribute it stateside. It was so hard to do because he wasn't big enough. Mm -hmm. Whereas Tiger's walked into a company that is big enough mm -hmm. and he's got the brand. So I, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it does. I've no idea whether it'll be hugely successful or just successful or whatever. Because selling golf apparel is really tough, especially in the States. Especially in the States, took the words right out of my mouth. Alex, a lot of talk about the logo itself. You touched on it earlier, that sort of Slazenger looking thing. To me, I was trying to think, what, what does this remind me of? And then I realised it's like a spaghetti shape. You know, in those cans of spaghetti <laughs> shapes that you get, like <laughs> alphabetic spaghetti. It looks yeah. like something that's tumbled out of one of those. But I think the bigger point is, why not go like they did with the, the or rather Nike did with Michael Jordan and his famous Jumpman logo, why not go with one of the many iconic poses that Tiger has given us over the years, like the big fist pump after Augusta? To me, that seems like a, uh, an opportunity missed. Agree? I completely agree. The the I, I thought that was what was going to... Because when I first saw the... the I'm going to call it the Slazenger logo. I, <laughs> I can't get that out of my head now. I cannot get Slazenger out of my head when I see it now. And even when I saw him at Riviera Thursday and Friday before he... Um, <laughs> called called an ambulance. I was <laughs> catching glimpses of him, and I was sort of going, "Oh, Slazenger!" Like even in, it's it's ingrained in my head now. I don't know how I get out of it, but yeah, look, it's not an original thought, but 
it's it you you look you, you mentioned that that fist pump just having the silhouette of that mm. I, I would wear that like you know, saving, the same way like that, jordan exactly the same way that when i was a kid like i wanted to wear the jordan jumpman logo on my clothes i mean i wouldn't wear it now i'm 41 but you know i would i would wear the the tiger silhouette logo on my clothes i think again not more so thought. than this yeah i, I don't think i'd wear See, that, I, I think he didn't do it because that is what Mickelson's logo is. You think so? Mickelson's logo is him on the 18th green winning the Masters for mm-hmm. the first time. That's his logo. Yeah, no one, and I know no that, but I just wonder, I just wonder whether Tiger's thinking, oh, I don't want to do something. So it's a wee bit like Michael Jordan. I think he's trying like to Like copying somebody's homework that yeah. wants to be original. Yeah. I think Nick Faldo's yeah, logo is quite cool. That's to do with the three opens <laughs> and, and the three masters yeah. and the claret you know and what? it's quite smart that took me and so i've cool. been working here since 2004 and i only twigged that that's what that was a couple of years ago uh-huh. with the claret and the the green stripes yeah it took me <laughs> the guts don't, of two decades go, together. don't stop listening just go and google it at the same time but it's quite smart but the logo the logo the other thing i don't like about the logo i don't know why he's got it where it is like sometimes it's in the middle of the yeah. jump and i think that looks a bit silly mm, yep but i have to say when, when, he, f- when he walked out sorry alex when he when he came out and uh start in his practice rounds it was just a bit weird seeing him without nike yeah very weird that is yeah. weird it is 100 what i do like is the fact that on the second day on Friday, which we're coming to, he went with a, a sort of recreation of one of the outfits he wore at Riviera on his very first tour start. It was like a, cool. a little nod to that, which mm-hmm. I, I like it when football clubs bring out nostalgic strips. So that was right up my street. But to Alex's point, would he wear it or not? Alex is saying he probably wouldn't. I'm not sure I would go to Sunday Red. I've not seen enough there that makes me go, wow, just yet. Do you know, do you know, I'd like wear hoodies. I like the hoodies, yeah, but I mean, like on on the golf course for for playing, I'd probably wear a hoodie if it was cold. But I think I'd probably be more likely to default to something like Adidas or Nike. I I just don't know. I just what about identify the, with them more. What about the shoes? We haven't mentioned the shoes. I don't mind the shoes. I don't mind there's been, them. There's been yeah, a lot of grief for them. I think a lot of people were being a bit contrarian and a bit. So I'm yeah. just going to say it's shite because that's the way it is. Yeah. But I, I think a lot of people were just being uh, because there's no big. It's easy to criticise. It's also the the quickest route to getting attention and likes and yeah. clicks and whatnot. I liked so, it. Doesn't bother yeah. me. Yeah. So would you wear it? Yes or no? Yeah, I would. Yep. Okay. So two one, but that's to be expected because it's geared at old guys. <laughs> Sorry, Bryce. I'm getting the death stare, ladies and gents, for whatever that's worth. So the golf itself with Tiger, day one. I think pretty much what we were expecting. He was one over par, a little bit scruffy around the greens. Basically, his game was where you'd expect it to be for a guy that's played so little competitive golf and had so few. Bryce? Reps. That's the one. (laughs) Friday, totally different story with the withdrawal after just six holes. He didn't look especially great at any point in, in that, what was it, couple of hours he was on the golf course. A lot of people on the ground were saying he was stretching out quite a lot. He'd mentioned back spasms the the day before after his round. But it was nothing physical in that sense, he says. It was, in fact, a dose of the flu that that caused him to withdraw early. Bryce, first things first. This is maybe the most unfair question I've ever asked, but given that we know Tiger loves the drama... (laughs) Is he at it? Do you believe him? I don't want to answer that. I don't know. Yeah, you have to take him at his word. 
I thought his um, his opening round was to be expected, mm-hmm. a little bit rusty. He was actually okay at times. Sometimes he was a bit poor. He got a bit unlucky in eighteen. Well, unlucky in eighteen, but I think he said he had a back spasm. Yeah, wish I could use that on the for, shank. All, for all my shanks. Yeah. I think, yeah, he does like a bit of drama. But the guy's the guy gets an A plus when it comes to drama. It's not but many golfers that can deliver that. Not many people can walk off the course, or rather, be driven off the course in a buggy with the flu and have two fire trucks and an ambulance show up. Yeah, that's a bit brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> Apparently, there were no IV drips available he needed in the golf course. I mean, come on. Someone go and fetch him a can of juice. I know. Just have a Coke. Have a can of Iron Brew. That's what yes. Yes. Lucas even chicken soup. Yeah, something like, yeah. An egg with butter in it, something like that. <laughs> come on. But yeah, look, look if he had the flu, who, are me, who's, who am I to say mm. he was lying? If he's got the flu, listen, we'll see what he's like the next time he turns up, which will probably be in about three or four weeks. Well, that's it. But... It is a bit of a, let's be honest, you've got the stats on how many rounds of 72 holes, how many 72 holes he's played, something like that, in the last three years? What Since the car crash, he's played six times and withdrawn three times. I think he's completed 72 holes twice. Twice. So he's not, he's not in a great space. We already knew that. But it's amazing to think that he's, he's, he hardly really plays any competitive golf uh, when he does, he's not particularly good. I don't think he looks... This sounds really strange, but I don't think he looks healthy. And no. I hate to overanalyze the guy because he's been through a lot, but he doesn't look great. Mm-hmm. I think he looks puffy. Mm-hmm. I think he looks a bit unhealthy. He looks thin on the bottom half. He's, he, he can't clearly work out the way he wants to. So I think physically he's not what he wants to be. But he's just launched a massive clothing line. Which suggests he's sticking around for a yeah. while yet. Yeah, he's not done. Because he's the only brand ambassador just now. Yeah, he's not done. I'll be interested. It's a good point. Do you think he'll bring other people onto Sunday Red? Maybe. I just wonder who that would be. Maybe. Like, yeah, like VJ and Marco Mira. <laughs> or are you thinking like JT? <laughs> <laughs> Marco Mira on the Champions Tour. Mira. Now he's still right in Morocco Sunday, right? this week. We don't know he's not wearing Sunday Listen, Red. we do not know. But when it's the <laughs> the traditional uh, start at the Masters, Gary Player could rock up wearing that. Sunday <laughs> 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 Red. Well, listen, he's playing PXG. So clearly he's after deals. Gary will take a deal. His son definitely will. If Tiger releases his own oh golf ball, my there's, there's Wayne Player waiting to hold him. For goodness sake. Alex, regardless of it all, that, you know, flu or whatever, it's not the start to 2024 that Tiger was targeting, stating very much the obvious. So your thoughts, one on that, but also two to Bryce's point, where do you expect to see him play next? Well, I think looking at the schedule between now and the Masters, it has to be either Bay Hill or Sawgrass. But, you know, he hasn't played either of those since, I think, 18 or not. I think the players in 19 was the last one of those that he played. Yeah, Bay Hill um, 16, I, I think. Yeah, I can't see him playing the Valspar. He hasn't played there in almost a decade. And there's no way he's going out to Texas for 72 or 36 or 19 holes that uh, that close to Augusta. So I suspect maybe, he, the Honda, the old Honda Classic. Maybe again, it's another tournament he hasn't played for a while, is it? Mm. So it, uh, he's not. I don't think he's going to travel across the country, isn't he? I think if he's, he's going to pick one of those ones that are, are close to his home, 
I suspect he would rather play Bayhill, a course that he loves, obviously, in a tournament he's won, won a bunch of times. Whereas I wonder if his new role on the PJ Tour board may make him swing towards the players. But we seem to forget that, again, the same with the with the apparel brand. We seem to forget that because we, we sort of see, we put Tiger on this kind of superhuman pedestal, don't we? That he he is a 48-year-old man mm. who, has, who has been under the knife more times than... Daniela Westbrook as one of the Gen Z crowd. <laughs> so this guy has been multiple surgeries. Like we can't just expect him to rock up and be the tiger that he used to be. And I, I think we're all having a little bit of a hard time just sort of letting go of that. I never thought I'd see or hear the day that Tiger would be using the same sentence as Daniela Westbrook. And listen, say what you like about the guy, but at least he's still got both nostrils. Bryce <laughs> is... <laughs> That she just has one now, doesn't she? <laughs> a deviated septum, I think it's called, isn't it? God, I don't know, move on. Is golf ready for Tiger to stop playing, yes or no? Uh, I'm, I'm mildly obsessed about what Tiger's going to do when he does call it quits. I don't know. When you say obsessed, so you've given it some thought, what yes, do you see? I, I think Tiger will struggle to walk off that golf course and not not play PG Tour, not be involved. He's now said he would consider Champions Tour, hasn't he? Which is a big surprise to be big fair. Big surprise, because I didn't think he would do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, If he's able to get round a golf course, I think Tiger will keep playing to take... Uh, I don't think he will ever turn down an opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. I genuinely think he's just going to keep going until he physically cannot swing a club. I look at his swing, and I don't think he looks like a guy that... Um, is I, I need to care for what I say. I don't think he looks like he's able to compete with the best players in the PGA Tour. Throw in a major, and I think that's going to be really, really difficult. Masters aside, mm-hmm. do you think I've he believes that, that before? Do I think he believes like that deep down? Because publicly he says, "I'm only out here because I still believe I can win and I believe I can compete." I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think probably deep down he thinks if he plays his absolute best golf, he probably can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I genuinely think he probably can. However, I think if guys like Fino and Rory and Scheffler and even guys like Shoffley and Justin Thomas and Spieth, I think when they are on fire, I don't think I don't think Tiger's got. It doesn't look. Nothing suggests that he can come back. He's not put any real form together, and I think it's going to take a long time for him to get some. Reps, he talked about reps, reps, mm-hmm. reps for years. Mm-hmm. I don't ever see that happening. I don't see a bundle of tournaments. I genuinely don't think you can compete at the top level in golf on PGA Tour playing once every seven or eight weeks. Bingo. Yeah, I don't I think agree. that's possible. However, however, right, I did say last year that I didn't think live guys would be able to cope at Augusta because they're playing in a completely different mindset on live. Different types of golf courses, which are hit, hit and runs, basically, um, and then set up to Augusta, and he's and they did. Mm-hmm. They turned up at Augusta, and they did play well in the other majors. So maybe you can, maybe there is some sort of secret light in golf that no one's looked at yet, where you just take all the time off in the world, turn up when you want, focus for that week, and it happens. Whether I think Tiger can do that, I don't think he can. Difference between them and him is they're predominantly healthy and they're able to walk. Yeah. Which, you know, there's always been there and there will now always be the question of physicality around Tiger. It seems to your point of reps, which is a very good one, Tiger has prepared and played 
pretty much the same way throughout his career, which is to play a lot of golf, to get a lot of reps in. Now he's going to have to find a different way to do it at a time in his career, which, let's face it, he's almost 50. Guys are younger, fitter. I would say right now, yes, they're better than him. It's a big, big ask. He's almost got to reinvent the way he plays tour golf and somehow within that find a way to win. I wouldn't write him off because it's Tiger and I've been made to look foolish writing him off before, but monumental ask. It's a, it's a, it's a huge ask. However, it is Tiger mm-hmm. and th- there, there's going to be times where he surely at one point will play well. You know, at, at the Masters... I think we'll all be glued to our screens to see what he can do because mm-hmm. he is, he's saying he's physically well enough to play. I do think it, that's why I find it quite strange about the back spasms because, uh, and I speak with experience, I've had back spasms, but he has supposedly different back spasms to me. He has them when he's just playing golf. But up to me, a back spasm is something that has happened and it's there and it sits in your back. You don't, it doesn't. I don't just suddenly get a back spasm when I play. He seems to get that all the time now. Like that, it's localized. Yeah, he just he talks about them all the time. Mm. That's what I don't. I, I can't quite get my head around that. But if he's physically able, I, I have no idea what he'll do at the Masters, mm. and that that's what keeps us all talk. That gets us all excited. On that point, Absolutely. the back fusion surgery was meant to stop the back spasm. So it's interesting that he's still having them despite having had this major. Surgery. Yeah, that's what I find weird. Alex, Tiger's WD was not the only big story at the Genesis. Your man, your man crush, Jordan Spieth, got disqualified. So I'm coming to you first on this one. The bold Jordan put down the wrong score. Was it the par 3 14th on Friday? He put himself, or was put down for a 3 when it was actually a 4. Signed his scorecard and it subsequently came to light. Bang, disqualified. Your thoughts, Alex, as a huge Jordan Spieth fan, fair or no? Well, first of all, I think I should just uh, put in a little disclaimer here that this, my opinion isn't based on anything to do with Jordan Spieth. I I would say the same thing if it was anyone, and I have said the same thing before when it's been other people, but I'm absolutely in the camp of getting rid of this rule at the top end of the game. It, It blows my mind that a professional sports league still requires its players to sign for their own score. I think the best argument that I can find for, for keeping it is that it's tradition. It's always the way we've done it or that the scorers are all volunteers. Well, this is a multi-million, multi-billion dollar industry. Like why, why are we not hiring professional scorers to look after each group at a PGA tour event? But the overriding factor for me is that the punishment just, simply doesn't fit the crime. Jordan Spieth or any other player DQ'd from a PGA Tour event is not trying to cheat. Jordan Spieth had a brain fart on Friday. That was it. And as a result of said brain fart, he's booted out of a tournament where millions of dollars are on the line, not yeah. only for, for him and for the other players, yeah. but for betters too. I get I get all that. It does. I'm not going to argue. I, I do disagree with you, but the fact is that, That's fine. and you make a good point, is that it's a, He's been booted out on a technicality. He hasn't tried to cheat. We, we mm-hmm. know Jordan Spieth. He's not tried. He's not dumb. He knows that everyone watched what he did on that hole. And, you know, it was recorded on screen. It's been looked at by commentators live. There's guys all over the hole watching what he did. He's just had a bit of a brain fart and that's it. However, in golf, you mark your scorecard. Someone else marks your scorecard. you got to get that right. That's, that is what you do. You are... 
in charge of your world in golf. You mark yourself. It's like, it is, you know, it sounds like an old guy, but it's a game of honour. But it is. And I think when you take that away, it'll be anarchy. Yeah, I am with you, Bryce. Sorry, Alex. I mean, I think Alex is looking for a bifurcation of that particular rule where it's different for the pros than it is for, for amateurs. Listen, I sympathise with Jordan Spieth, but at the same time, I don't. I agree that disqualification feels a bit harsh, but I'll say this, this happens so rarely that that tells me that maybe the deterrent is having the, the desired yeah. effect. Mm -hmm. You know what's at stake if you get this wrong, so people are just a bit more vigilant. Jordan Spieth on this occasion wasn't, and he's paid the price. Not for a second would I suggest that he's a cheat, or I'm not implying any kind of impropriety, but that that is uh, that's something that could be levelled at other individuals, rightly or wrongly, and that's why the rule exists for all and not for one. This, though, is the crux of the matter. The easiest thing that Jordan Spieth had to do on Friday was write numbers on a scorecard and check them. Everything else he did was tougher than that. So it's a very basic thing he had to get right, and he got it wrong. Sorry, but you pay the price when you make those very sort of blunders. Very much agree. And it's such a massive price, isn't it? And I, I don't, like, for me, you get, these players are going into the scores, hot, where they? they're checking over the scores. Oh, sorry, we've checked this, and actually you had a th uh, four there and not a three, so we're just going to change it back. Okay, fine, maybe just stick a two-shot penalty on or something, but kicking someone out of the tournament for that doesn't make any sense. I mean, you talk about bifurcation there. Another argument is our old powers, isn't it? We want to play the same game as the pros. We, we've done it with courses. We've done it with equipment. And now we're doing with the, with, with the rules. But you could argue that unless you've been DQ'd from your midweek medal because someone phoned the golf club and said, said they saw you on TV taking an illegal drop or touching some <laughs> sand in your backswing, then you're not playing the same rules as the pros at all. I understand why it's a DQ. But at you have to mark your own card at a medal. There's no, yes, there's, I understand there's no that, one in the telly. But it no... makes sense. At, it makes sense at that level, doesn't it? Because you haven't got galleries of fans around you, or scorers, markers, spotters, yeah, volunteers, but that's, that's caddies, why, or but that is why dozens I'm, of cameras. That's or... why I'm anti bifurcation because I think the game should be the same for the pros and the same for us. And if it comes to marking your own card and just not making an absolute howler of that, mm -hmm. then I, I am all for that. It's like Mark Rowe and who was he playing with? Jesper Parnavik mm -hmm. yep. in uh, 2003, and he basically shot the lights out, shot the best round of his career, but marked his own card instead of swapping cards with Parnovic in the first. They did, the two of them didn't swap cards. So I think Mark Rowe marked his card, wrote his scores down, Parnovic did likewise, and they signed their cards. It would have been all right if they'd swapped cards, but the two of them, he walked out of the scorer's hut. And the, this is where I find this, like... The RNA have to make, or the rules have to make some sort of boundary <laughs> of yep. right and wrong. And as soon as Mark Rowe stepped out of that scorer's hut and out a gate, that was it. He couldn't go back. Yep. But if he'd gone three yards back, he could have gone in and changed it and they could have done their thing. And But he didn't. But the thing is, you're meant to swap cards in the first tee. That's what you do. It's one of the very basic things when you turn up at a tournament. Players get cards and they hand them over. How are you doing? Next Everyone tournament? else manages it. Everyone else manage it, manages it, but Mark Rowe didn't that day. It's a brain fart. Don't do that. It's just. But are you not? Are you not listening to what you're saying and just thinking, like, especially the bit where you're saying, you know, you walked three yards. He could have just gone back. 
That's just loose. Yeah, so but there's got to be a rule it's somewhere. Just kicking itself in the face. I, I, I do there get that. There has to be a line in the sand. There has there? to be a line. There has to be a point where you have crossed that line and the rule has been broken. You can't just have Mark Rowe wandering in for a burger and sitting in the clubhouse <laughs> and get hey, another wine, sir. Yes, please. And by the way, I think you might have signed the wrong card. You know, it doesn't work like that. There's got to be a, actually, Again, I th- here it is. You've done it. You've made a mistake. Sorry. Yeah, I would agree you're, with that. You're, t- you're talking about the top level of the game. I'm, and uh, yeah, my argument is that actually at grassroots level, it does make sense because, you know, when you haven't got hundreds of cameras watching you or you know, th- hundreds of thousands of people watching at home, there, there, there is a temptation to cheat maybe because you, you, you think you can get away with but it. That but that argument surely collapses because not every player in the field is on television. Not every player yeah. has cameras on them. So is it not unfair to judge one group because they've got cameras and uh, allow them no, because a I, little bit of flexibility versus the others who don't have that? That's that's I an think unlabeled. I think thing we're fixating do. on the cameras a little bit, but I, what I'm saying is this is a this is a multi gazillion dollar sports league. They can afford to have a professional scorer with every single group that goes out in a professional. I think there is, but it's not the scorer that records the score. Well, it's not their responsibility. It's not their job. They do record I'm not saying players shouldn't keep their score and they shouldn't do that and they shouldn't sign for it. I'm saying that there should be a professional who goes over the scores and says, oh, actually, Mr. Spieth, you had a four here and not a three. And then Spieth goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. He does that thing with his fingers. But the thing, what you're effectively saying is, what you're effectively saying is, you're sitting Jordan Spieth down in a scorer's hut and saying, right, can you just make sure, because you may be a moron and I want you to sit and go through every score that you've had and make sure it's right. That is self-policing. That's what golfers are meant to do. And if Spieth hasn't done that properly, he's made a mistake. Yeah, Trust me, exactly. he'll, not, he'll not make that mistake again. Isn't the issue here, we're talking a lot about whether or not DQ is too big of a punishment and whatnot, and whether or not this should be done or that should be done. The real issue, and the only reason we're discussing all this, is because Jordan Spieth was careless. Mm-hmm. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's 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 a harsh lesson learned, but like you say, I'm I'm sure he has learned it now. Yeah, my goodness, I mean, I, I had to laugh when I saw quite a lot of people in social media saying, "Oh, he's he's been disqualified because of maths." Nope, it's not maths. It's writing down a number. He wasn't having to solve Pythagoras' theorem or use advanced algebra to jump to some conclusion. Just had to write down the right number yeah. or check that the number that was written down was correct. It's so simple. So I find it hard to have really any sympathy. I do. Oh, I don't know about that. I do have sympathy for him. I do feel sorry for him. He's not a cheat. He's made a mistake. And as Alex says, the consequences are huge. I feel sorry for the sponsor. Yep. I feel sorry for fans that bought tickets. But I also think players look foolish when that happens because it's, it's, a, it's a total basic. Yeah. To Jordan Speed's credit, he took it on the chin and owned the mistake and said it's entirely on me. He didn't make any case for the disqualification being too severe a penalty. Others did. There were some pros that jumped on and, and said that this basically made your point, Alex. Was one of them Patrick Reed. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly quiet. This time next week, incidentally, Patrick Reed will be outside the world's top 100. So much for being a top five player in the world. But yeah, Eddie Pepperell made the point. Michael Kim made the point. Xander Schofley even made the point. And <laughs> found it quite funny when he said that, you know, Jordan had maybe just a bit of an upset stomach, a bit like Tiger, you know, and that contributed to his head not being fully in it when he was checking his scorecard. And I thought, oh, toughen up. And there is a part of me that worries that 
you know, professional golfers are just getting a wee bit whiny, a little bit entitled. Patrick Cantley's hat no. doesn't fit. Is it Lexi, does he, <laughs> Lexi doesn't fit. want to answer questions about bad shots, saying I don't have to answer that, and we can't check our scores properly because our tummy's rumbling. I mean, come on. This is... <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. Uh, dumb it down, I thought Schofield was joking, but I don't. I didn't see the actual interview. I only read it. But I when has Xander Schofield ever joked? <laughs> well, Does, yeah, is he true. capable of such? Uh, I thought it was like for me, it was like a Morikawa Ryder Cup TGL thing. I was like, surely that's just him joking. <laughs> like, remember TGL? No remember TGL? But yeah, that? you're right. Actually, Xander Schofield is not the jester <laughs> we all hope he could be. There's time. The Genesis obviously losing Spieth, losing Tiger. <laughs> it didn't make for the most exciting of weekends. I, I think the certain individual at the top of the leaderboard in his stoic ways probably didn't help my own entertainment of the of the tournament on Saturday and Sunday. But I think it all contributes to this growing sense that the PGA Tours not really had the start to 2024 that it would have wanted. It's been a bit flat. It's had, you know, the the nonsense of the phoenix open it's had the weather at pebble beach bringing that you know to heal a bit too early and obviously genesis how much of this price do you think this sort of this malaise the right word around the tour how much of this is down to live and the momentum it seems to have had by taking away a lot of the personalities yeah. and how much is down to the pga tour itself well <laughs> Liv has taken a lot of big names and you're right, personalities away because that's what Liv wanted. Mm -hmm. But I think it's not just PGA Tour. Look at the DP world in the last few weeks. It's not been, no disrespect, it's not been tremendous viewing. You know, there's a lot of names on there that you are, who's who's, who's that? Mm. You know, a lot of guys. More so than previously? A hundred percent more so than previously. Some of the, some of the guys in top on the top twenty, I think I, I've I've never heard of, mm -hmm. and I, I work in golf. I don't know who these guys are. Now you'll get grief for that. Well, you should be following the Asian tour. Well, not many people do, so it's kind of difficult when these guys turn up and they're playing a DP World event. You know, it's hard to follow a sport as fragmented as this. Yeah, as well. and that the, the the PGA Tour is suffering from that as well. There's just that there are waste management was a good event. Until it got out of control, there were some good names in there. Still some good names at Genesis. I, I think it's just getting started. It would have been completely different. You would not be asking that question if Tiger had made a top 25. Mm -hmm. And that's the effect of what a big name can have. Also, it doesn't have, it, in the last couple of weeks, it's not had its top players firing. You know, Rory, Rory was poor. Rory was, was not mm -hmm. that great. I, th I was good to see Rory come on and do some commentary. Mm -hmm. I quite liked that. Yeah. I thought he was good. Although I think he could have spoken a wee bit more than he did, but I think he was quite good. And Scheffler is clearly struggling on the green, so he wasn't making a big noise. 100% think they are missing John Ram. Mm -hmm. I think they're... I, I think more than I expected they yes, missed, to be fair. Yes, absolutely. They're, they're, there's still some big star power on the tour. It is not as potent as it used to be. Yep. And I think the Players' Championship will be a real insight into how strong the PGA Tour is. Alex, your thoughts on that? Well, I think for me, it's golf doesn't really get going until March, really, for me. Like, it's not... We're sort of in this January, February slump where the, the Augusta still feels like a million years away. And, yeah, look, Patrick Cantley's a wonderful golfer, but him leading by five shots going into a weekend where, yeah, your so-called characters are gone. I mean, like, like Tiger WD 
Jordan Spieth's DQ, Justin Thomas missed the cut, Rory yeah, McIlroy was nowhere near the leaderboard. So, you know, when they're gone or not in contention, you're going to struggle yeah. to get hardcore fans in, let alone the casuals. And, and you know, we, we've mentioned John Rahm there, but, you know, I, I, I've said this hundreds of times before, I really miss Brooks Kepka. I think he's yeah. always really good to watch, when, especially when he's in contention. Bryson DeChambeau. And we've even lost, you know, Tyrrell Hatton. I mean, before he went to live, those couple of PJ Tour events he played before he made the switch, you know, he was all over social media because he's sticking his finger up at balls and <laughs> shouting at grass and all the other things he does. You know, he's, he's good value. Sergio Garcia is good value. Cam Smith, you take them out of the equation. This isn't just golf. You take characters out of the equation in any sport and the chances of getting bums on seats or eyes on screens suddenly diminish. I, I, I mean, for me, the, the golf season doesn't really start till March. I think that... <laughs> The, uh, it feels a bit forced at the moment. Like I feel like I'm forcing myself to get interested because of this whole big uh, signature event I, announcement. And- yeah, I, I get that as well. But I also think guys like a lot of guys just haven't quite turned it on lately. Mm-hmm. Like Morikawa's mm-hmm. really, yeah. really quiet. Yeah, Colin Morikawa surprises me because he's so I don't know. He's just so under the radar. At the yeah, moment. he's on the periphery, isn't he? I think this is the the problem the PGA Tour's got. I think the point we're making here is that because of live, all it takes is a couple of players to not play well, miss a cut, get disqualified, withdraw, and suddenly yeah. the event's in a bit of bother. Whereas, because mm-hmm. you don't have as big a and as deep a pool of talent as you previously had, certainly as it relates to characters. I wouldn't say a bit of bother. It's just not quite... It's not quite got the oomph it's got. It's slightly... Is that not a bit of bother? Slightly, no. Because I'd love to see the viewing figures for the weekend at Genesis. I slightly would diluted. put my money, all my money, on that being way down. No? I think I read that Thursday was way down on last year. And that's with Tiger. Although Tiger played last year, of course. But, yeah, I would have thought... I would have said Thursday this year would have been bigger than Thursday last year. What I will say is the tour seems to be aware of the issue, if it is that issue... And maybe that explains why they're doing this thing at the Myrtle Beach Classic in May with YouTubers getting the opportunity mm-hmm. to play. There's going to be yeah. a qualifier. Bryce, I think you know a bit more about this than I do, but what's it, 18 players going to play for a space in the field? Is that right? Yeah, I, I think you have to have a scratch, handicap or better or whatever. I don't... There's a lot of people losing their mind about it. I think it's quite a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, they're not doing it every week. Yeah. And they're having to qualify for it. It's not a huge amount of guys. I, I how many guys are getting in? So I think, is it one out of the 18? Is that right? I think it's so. It's not a huge amount. You know, it's almost like a sponsor's infight in yeah. a kind of weird way. But I think it is, you know, YouTube golf is a big thing. Yep. Why not allow some of it to come forward and and have a space on the tour? It's a wee bit nuts, I'll admit it. It's a bit crazy, but I don't. I'm not disgusted by it. It's not quite like inviting some kids football youtuber to get a game at man city on a sunday afternoon it's not quite the same <laughs> bet you that's going to happen sometime yeah I'd actually, actually could any of those youtubers play for celtic right now <laughs> left back anyone at left back i need a right back as well <laughs> and a striker and a manager but it's it is interesting i think because to I, you put out a very good tweet at the weekend bryce Better that than giving it to John Daly again, only for him to just go yeah. and withdraw. It's something different. Mm-hmm. It's no, to be honest, I don't think it's anything particularly different, Alex, to inviting Tony Romo to play or Steph Curry. It's about no. eyeballs and creating interest in an event that might not otherwise get it. 
And it's definitely better than inviting, what was your man called from a few weeks ago in Dubai? Ken? Ken Weird. Uh, Michael Jordan's mate. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, we we dedicated quite a lot of that podcast to Ken. And no, I, I, I'm fully on board with this. I think it's a really know. good idea. I, I, do, I saw one tweet that said something like, oh, golf's just going to go the way of boxing. Is that, no, it's not. Don't be so stupid. Yeah, suddenly golf's just going to become a YouTube sport. Get over yourselves. No, fully on board. Nothing what else happens? to add to all the excellent points made. What happens if Pete Finch qualifies and wins? <laughs> Does he get? A, he gets a tour card. Get a tour card. Yeah. Get a tour card for two years. He would get. A, he would get in the Masters, mm-hmm. and he would get in. I think he would get in all the majors if you win a PG Tour event. You get in all the majors for that calendar year. I think could be wrong. His world ranking would improve. Aha. Uh-huh. So yeah, he's probably. I think, I think isn't every off. every professional player at the moment. Isn't every player at three thousand five hundred or something? something like ranking, that, yeah. They're all the same until you get some points. So he'd get some points. He'd play every PG Tour event. He could probably film everything. It'd be quite good. I like it. Why are not? We, are, we at three, are we at three five hundred? Us three? No, because we're not professional. Can I call myself the world number three thousand five hundred? No, three thousand five hundred and first for you, Alex. I think you have to be a registered professional in order to get a world oh, ranking. No, amateurs have it. I think you have to have played in an event to. Like, but it's a world amateur golf ranking event have to play in some sort of ranking event anyway to, to get a world ranking anyway look there is more to come from us we've, we've prattled on quite long enough for this half coming up in part two the inimitable Nick Price do not go anywhere putting is not a popularity contest but if it were there'd be no contest The number one putter on the PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, DP World Tour, and the number one putter at 50 consecutive majors is Odyssey, the number one putter on tour. Welcome back. Part two of this week's Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway, Michael, Bryce and Alex with you. Just want to draw your attention to YouTube. We were speaking about it before the break. The Bunkered YouTube page, that's the place to go for all of the latest gear reviews and insight and general just fun stuff. James Tate, our gear editor, is front and centre of it. He's very handsome, he's very charismatic, and he's very knowledgeable as well about his products. So if you're wanting to know about how the latest tailor-made driver, the QI-10, compares to the, the new Callaway Paradigm AI smoke or whatever it might be, then go to our YouTube page and check it out. It's youtube.com forward slash bunkered. Do us a favour, give us a subscribe, smash the like button on the videos if you're enjoying them, leave comments, get involved, because James likes to go in and reply to people, and sometimes his replies make for hilarious reading. Okay, delighted to be joined now, ladies and gents, by a true legend of the game, and I mean that sincerely, legend in capital letters, every single one of those letters capitalised, please, former world number one and a multiple major champion, his name is on the claret jug, it is, ladies and gents, Mr Nick Price. Nick, welcome to the Bunkered Podcast. Hey, thanks, Michael. That was a nice intro. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? When you've got a CV like yours, it's very easy to do intros. I tell you what, it's, it's very straightforward. But, you know, I, I rattled well, off the fact that you've, you've won major championships. But if I could, I want to start with a, a different one of your wins. Maybe not the most obvious place to start, but 
it's just under a month now until the latest instalment of the Players' Championship. I get really excited yeah. about it. I'm sure that everyone listening gets very excited about it. So it's a, for me, in some ways, it feels like the start of the, the golf season. And it's an event that you won 31 years ago. That's uh, <laughs> not to put too fine a point in it, but 31 years ago, Nick, when uh, you, you won at TPC Sawgrass. Can you tell me, what was that the event like back then? Was there still the same kind of fifth major buzz around it that we have now? How was it back then? Well, I think obviously, you know, as soon as the, the Players' Championship went to its own venue, uh, which, you know, became the TPC at Sawgrass, uh, I went through tour school there in 1982, so my playing days at, at TPC go way back. Um, and, you know, it just grew in stature over the years. It was our tournament for the PGA Tour players and, and you know, the top however many in the world. And it was something that we were all very excited about because, you know, the, the, the Players' Championship had bounced around and whatever. But what a fantastic idea that Pete Dye and... Uh, and Dean Beeman came up with by building the stadium course. They took, I think, golf to a new level and uh, golf watching to a new level. Uh, you know, it's wonderful to go to all these great places and watch golf, but if you don't see much action, it's a little bit you know, frustrating. So they really uh, hit the nail on the head with, with the way that they designed it. But as the tournament, or the sorry, the championship grew in stature, uh, you know, it was, it, 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 was very, it was a very important one for all of us to win. Arguably, right from sort of like the mid-80s, the strongest field in golf, um, it was inclusive of a lot of European and overseas players. Um, and, you know, it was just the kind of golf course that, or it is the kind of golf course, it's a shot maker's paradise. Honestly, you have to be able to hit the ball from right to left, left to right, high, low. Um, there's certain holes you have to treat with the utmost respect. But all in all, that finish from number 14, 13 onwards, really tests uh, a player's metal and, uh, and also uh, uh, his smart, I suppose, is the best way because you don't have to go at the pins all the time on that golf course. But, um, you know, I just loved playing that golf course because I always felt like if my strategy was good on the golf course, I was going to beat the guy next to me who may play the same as I did, but his strategy was was not as good. So, you know, just a wonderful championship to win. And, uh, you know, if you have a look at the roster of champions, it's pretty impressive. Oh, it sure is. It sure is. And 17, it's it's obviously iconic. It's one of those holes, I think, if you're a player, you either love it or you hate it. You either rise to the challenge or you maybe hmm. wilt or shrink because it is undoubtedly intimidating. How did you feel when you stood on the tee there for the, the first time under championship conditions? Yeah. <laughs> I never really liked the hole, to be honest. I always thought there was zero strategy on the hole. You either hit it on the green or you didn't. Mm. But and, and at times and when we played there, you know, they did lengthen the hole. I remember playing there and hit me a five iron to that green. In, in uh, We had the wind, the north wind into us, and it was probably 165 yards, and the wind was blowing at like 20 miles an hour. So effectively, it was playing 180. But you know what? Uh, they've shortened the hole a lot more now. It's basically a wedge for the guys, which I think is a lot fairer. Um, but I always used to say to my caddies, you know, Squeak in particular, I would always say, just give me the number to the middle of the green. And we had a cross on that green, and the middle of the green was just on the brow of, of the hill there. Uh, and the, it's right in the middle. 
And I just aimed for that all the time. It was just the best thing to do because, you know, I wasn't going to make a lot of birdies, but there wasn't going to be a lot of sorrow in my round either. <laughs> Good strategy. I like it. It's, 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 it's things like that, though, that helped you, you know, win the players. It helped you win three major championships. The second and third you won just weeks apart in, in 1994. You were clearly the best player in the world at that time when the, the talent was really deep as well. I think people sometimes forget just how many good players there were around in the, in the mid, early to mid-90s. What do you think it was that separated you from your peers at that time? Um, well, you know, for most of my career up until that point, I'd been pretty much a journeyman, you know, and I picked up victories around the world, um, you know, all over the place. And, and I traveled, you know, I went to Australia, I went to Japan, and I, I played in Asia. I played, I played all over the place, you know. And, and once I sort of settled into playing at the U, in the U.S., I think uh, my international travels made me appreciate what the U.S. tour was more about. As practice facilities were perfect, golf courses were in much better shape than a lot of the courses we'd been playing around the world, um, and the competition was stiffer. You know, uh, the weather was better. You could practice under perfect conditions and really elevate your game or accelerate, you know, the progress of your game. And then, sort of toward the end of the '80s. You know, the PGA Tour became very international. Uh, a lot of guys from overseas come to play. You know, when Seve was in his early stages, he wanted to play over here, but he didn't want to make a commitment to the tour, which is kind of what they wanted. And then a lot of us after that sort of made a commitment to this tour, um, which really elevated, I think. Uh, and, and right now, if you look now, how many people, you know, Euro uh, Europeans and Southern Africans and you know, Australians and Asians are playing the PGA Tour. It's such a healthy position to be mm. in. But, um, you know, I think for me, it was just understanding what my weaknesses were and working on those. And then when my long game really got into good shape, I spent a lot of time with David Ledbetter from 81 through to, sorry, 82 through the whole, whole of my career. But uh, it really started to play, pay dividends towards the end of the 80s. People may remember when Seve and I went head-to-head -head at, uh, at Lytham in 1988 at the Open. It was a fantastic day for me. I hit the ball from Tita Green as well as I could. I just didn't make as many putts as Seve did. And that's what turned me around, was that I said, you know what, uh, I'm going to have to start making more putts and be a more effective putter if I want to win uh, more tournaments. And so I started working then. You know, I have really Seve to thank for that. Because uh, I started working on my short game a lot more, and and my short game became really sharp. It became, you know, as strong as my as my long game. So that was a really uh, a positive thing for me. And then you know, once I broke loose, it was really important for me to the confidence that I got from my first win, uh, you know, in '91 after not having won in the U.S. since '83. Uh, it's hard to explain what that X factor is. Is it two times? Is it five times? Is it ten times? But the confidence just grew and grew in me. And then, you know, once I started uh, winning again, uh, 91, 92, I started hitting my stride. And uh, it was just a lot of fun because I felt, honestly, if I played well and I did all the right things strategy-wise, then I had a good chance to win an event, you know? Yeah, absolutely right. You mentioned Seve there. What was he like to, to play with and against, I suppose? I mean, obviously, he's he's beloved, but more so by fans, I guess. I'd, I'd love to get a sense of what it was like to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him because he was a fierce competitor, wasn't he? I'll tell you, that guy, he loved to compete and he hated to lose. <laughs> I think like most great competitors, you know, um, that that's what they like. They, 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 they want to win. Um, and, you know, Seve 
I always explain to people, well, how good was Tebi? I said, well, you know, just to give you an idea, I think I had probably, you know, a hundred ways to shoot 65. Uh, Sevi had about 15,000 ways he could shoot, you know. <laughs> he, he could hit two greens in regulation, chip in five times, hit 18 greens in regulation and just have, you know, cut well. I mean, the guy was just amazing. He had uh, very, very few weaknesses in his game. If anything, it was his driving, particularly toward the end of his career. But he just had this magical short game and the desire to get the ball in the hole. Um, and he, I, I played a lot of golf with him. And uh, I like to think we were, we were good friends. Uh, we played a lot of practice rounds together, particularly here in the U.S. Um, and he was just an inspiration to me. You know, when I first saw him, I'd just come out of the military in 1978, and he, we were both 21 years old. I was about, I think I'm, I wasn't, I'm three months, four months older than he is, or was, sorry. Um, and, you know, I, I watched him hit balls at, at uh, Porta de Hero in Madrid, at the Madrid Open, and I was light years behind him. I said to my buddy who was chatting for me, I said, this guy is, He's light years ahead of me. He's just got an incredible, you know, he had beautiful high long irons. He drove the ball a long way. His chipping was just fantastic. So he was an inspiration, I think, to a lot of us. Uh, you know, certainly the like the great Norman and Felder, myself, and, you know, a lot of guys. We looked up to Sevi. Uh, not that when we were going head to head did we give him any quarter, you know. I mean, we wanted to beat him as much as he wanted to beat us. Uh, sorry, we wanted to beat him as much as he wanted to beat us. But, you know, just an amazing guy. And I'm so thankful that I got to know him uh, as well as I did and also play against him as many times as I did. Yeah, lovely words. And he's very, very sadly missed indeed. Obviously, the the, so much so. the the peak of your career, Nick, I mean, that was just probably before Tiger Woods turned up and came on the scene. And yeah. I'm, I'm interested, were you guys aware at the time of this young buck coming through the of all the buzz that he was making in the, the amateur scene were you hearing things about this guy who was going to come along and transform the game you know i first think i think it was 94 greg norman and i played a practice round with him at, at augusta and you know you could just see this guy had uber talent i mean it was incredible to see you know he was a little rough around the edges you know he he, he had a swing that sort of changed a little bit you know, it, it wasn't as consistent uh, then as it became later on. Uh, but incredible how uh, talented he had and the shots that he played. And he was always asking questions, you know, what do you do? How do you do this? You know, wanting to improve. And, um, yeah, we did. We could see that this guy was going to be something special. You know, his amateur and junior record was just uh, amazing. So when he did turn pro in 96 or 97, I think it was, uh, he just, got better and better and better. And, you know, I was really lucky to play a lot of golf with Tiger from about 97 through to about 2003, 2004. Uh, I don't know how many times I played with him. I played with him in the majors a lot. I played with him, I think, uh, four of the 12 rounds that he won the four majors in, that in the Tiger Slam. Um, and just it was, it was just so fun watching him. You know, he, he really did not have a weakness where, uh, you know, when he was at his peak, he, he really didn't. And the first two rounds at St. Andrews in, um, I think it was 2000, you know, 2000 uh, my caddy at the time, Ricky Roberts, Tiger had shot 67, 65, I think, in the opening two rounds. And uh, as we walked off the 18th green, 
Ricky Roberts said to me, he said, we, we're, we're in a pile of dung here. So I said, why is that, Ricky? He said, this, this guy hasn't even broken out in a sweat yet, and he's already got a five-shot lead. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, that, that honestly, that, you, that Open Championship uh, at St. Andrews that year, that was a phenomenal feat, what he did there. Not hitting it in one bunker, not putting a six on his card. I mean, just 72 holes of impeccable golf coupled with incredible strategy and a short game that, you know, uh, was just overpowering for yeah. the rest of the field. And just an amazing thing to, to witness, even from outside the ropes, it's been it's been quite the ride. He's, he's obviously now the other side of his career, I, I think it's probably fair to say. Given everything that he's been through, certainly physically over the last few years, are you surprised in any way, Nick, that he's he's still persisting, that he's still going, he's still showing up? You know, you can never, it, it's very hard to put greatness down. I mean, I remember when the first time he got injured and all this, what was going on with his back and guys said, is he going to make it back? And some guys said, never, you know, that's never going to happen. And he's done, finished. And, and I remember listening to these guys and I said, you know, well, they've got a guy like Tiger. You can never, ever say never. And uh, uh, he proved everybody wrong because when he came back in one Augusta, I think they, I was surprised, but it was something that I think in the back of my mind, we all knew that if he got his interest and in, in health back, he could win. So it was phenomenal. And, you know, what he's done for the game of golf over the years, I, I don't think anyone, maybe Bobby Jones in the 20s and 30s, you know, had that impact. Uh, Nicholas and Arnold Palmer, you know, definitely. But, you know, there's been very, very few people in the history of the game that have brought the interest to the sport as much as he did. And, um, you know, I, I, I was just happy to be a part of it and to see him uh, play as, as he did through that period. Yes, absolutely right. And now... As he's sort of phasing out, I suppose, I mean, he would never say he was phasing out, but as it feels like he's starting to phase out, the game's in a much different place than it was when when he showed up. Mm -hmm. And certainly the the men's professional game, the the transformation, even the last couple of years has been quite something to behold with Liv emerging and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the division and so on that we, we were paying witness to just now. What's your take on where the men's professional game's at just now, Nick, as someone who's watching it like the rest of us? What's, what's your take on... I guess the the future of it. Yeah, well, I don't like everyone else. I don't know what the end game is. I mean, we're all guessing, and and hindsight's always twenty twenty. Oh, you know, the tour should have done this, and Liv should have done that. But uh, the way the game is fragmented, nobody likes it at the moment. I don't think. Uh, you know, I I tried to watch Liv. Uh, I don't think the product they have is very good. Uh, you know, I don't know why they tried to reinvent the wheel. I think. You know, the IPL had a lot, what's happened with the Indian Premier League, the cricket. I think that had a lot to do with the decision-making and the way they tried to set it up with the franchises and that and the teams, which I don't think is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. But for right now, I don't think the product they got is something that people will rush the TV to watch. And it's kind of sad because they got so many great players. But I, I wish that there would be, you know, some kind of agreement come to uh, between the two parties or the three parties, including the DP World Tour. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I was, the other thing that I was really saddened about, Michael, was the fact that certain players uh, on that tour, on the Deleuze Tour, badmouthed the PGA Tour uh, over a period of time right after the signing. 
And, you know, they forgot that some of them made over $100 million, you know, on, on the PGA Tour. And I'm sure, you know, that if you start nitpicking, there are obviously issues that the, the, that the tour have. Uh, maybe the revenue sharing was one of them. Um, and, and also, you know, the, uh, the opposite event rule or the conflicting event rule, that was something that was pretty harsh for a lot of the foreign players. But our allegiance was always to the sport. And I, I feel bad that those guys, you know, really were aggressive in their criticism of the tour because our tour is probably one of the premium sporting uh, organizations or associations uh, that showcase a golfer's skill to the wealthiest corporate viewership that you can imagine. And, you know, if you, if you have an image out there on the PGA Tour, there's so many corporations that want to be a part of you, to, you know, to throw money at you, so to speak. So, um, you know, those guys all had that and they turned their backs on it, which is fine. I mean, probably at 45, you know, I probably would have joined Liver had I had the chance, but I certainly wouldn't have badmouthed the tour mm-hmm. for, you know, things that have happened in the past. So that's my take on it. I hope it's resolved. I hope we get back to, you know, uh, golf as we knew it five years ago. Um, but you know, I think that's in the lap of the gods now. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think what you say is very true. I mean, I think some players maybe had forgotten the fact that had they not been successful and had the PGA Tour not given them a platform, then they wouldn't have been approached by Live in the first instance. So there, a, a few right. thank yous rather than anything else might have been appropriate at that time. But you were on the scene though when Greg was looking to do something along the lines of the World Tour back in the the early nineties. Is there any sense that this has been a sort of personal mission for Greg beyond a, well, a sporting mission? That's a good question. Um, I really couldn't, you know, don't really know the answer to that. Um, I know, you know, having been really close to Greg at one stage, you know, how missed he was at the way that was all, 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 all handled. But, you know, Tel Aviv, you move on from that. Mm. You know, you do. Uh, if it doesn't work, but uh, I, 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 that's a tough question for me to answer because really I don't know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk about the rules, if we can. Obviously, the RNA and USGA, they announced their their plans for the golf ball just before Christmas. You are obviously widely regarded, Nick, as one of the great ball strikers in the game when you were at at your pomp, played with very different equipment (laughs) at at various times across your career. What's your take on on the changes? Do you think that they are good changes? Do you think that they're going to go far enough? Well, um you know, I think we have to look at the why. Why are we making the changes? Well, when you've got a 640-yard or 30-yard par five and the guys are hitting a drive and a two-iron or a hybrid into it, um, you know, I know that athletes have got maybe a little fitter than our generation, but that does not account for the increase in the distance and whatever. And also, you know, there are a lot of athletes out there who aren't exactly in prime condition who are hitting the ball a long way. So, I, I do buy into the physical fitness side of it, but uh, you can't say that that's what the cause, the major causes across the board. The equipment has gotten so good. Um, you've got the driver with a sweet spot from an old wooden driver was the size of the pea. You've now got the, uh, the size, of, it's now the size of a peach uh, on, mm-hmm. on some of these clubs. Now, I'm not saying let's go back to, to using a, a wooden driver, not at all. But our golf courses, and especially the old, the traditional golf courses are at the mercy of this equipment and these players, and they are uber talented. I'm not for one minute, one minute saying that these guys 
have, um, you know, the equipment is, is solely responsible for their, for their place. But, you know, every generation has worked to the peak with their equipment, whether it was Bobby Jones or whether it was Ben Hogan and Byron Nelson or whether it was Jack Nicklaus. We all got the most out of the equipment we were given because uh, that's what we do. We practice and we, you know, we hit the ball as hard as we can with the clubs that we are given. And there's a give up for if you try and hit the ball too hard, you lose X amount of control. Well, I don't see anybody hitting soft drivers like we used to. We used to hit little cuts, three-fingered cuts, you know, for 220 yards or 230 yards to put the ball in the fairway. But uh, I think, as I say, the golf course is a course like St. Andrews. I mean, it's the current rate of progress with distance. Someone during the Open Championship is going to break 60 at, at St. Andrews. And, you know, there could be a score of like, you know, 28 under or 30 under winning at St. Andrews. If given the right conditions, you know, not a lot of rain going into the event, uh, into the championship and dry, hard fairways, you know, and, and uh, it, it's just, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. So I don't understand how, you know, in, in, in a short space of time that these courses lose their, um, their teeth, so to speak. So, you know, that's, that's the thing I think that worries most of us older guys is that, you know, what, what what is going to happen to our great golf courses? Not all of them can keep adding 20, 30, 40 yards to them. So I'm sure, and I, I'm sure there's a compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the players today don't want to give up any yardage because they feel feel that the wow factor in the game is, is has to be there. But the average Joe, if he sees a guy hit at 305 yards, you know, he, he has no idea how far that is anyway. So whether yeah. it's 340 yards or 310 yards. That 30 yards doesn't make a difference to the, to the guys, you know, but to the average guy who's watching. But anyway, to maybe to some it does, you know. I mm-hmm. mean, certainly, you know, when Daly came on the scene and was driving the ball a long way, people wanted to see that. But they didn't know he was hitting it in those days 295 yards or yeah. 300 yards. You know, they just thought, man, this guy hits it a lot further than I've ever seen before. So, but Ab- anyway. Absolutely. Um, and the longest know, players I, I will still be the longest players, wouldn't they? Absolutely, absolutely. And the sad thing is, is that, you know, there were always guys, you know, I mean, even like Gary Player, you know, he was never a long hitter. You look at guys like Gene Sarazen, you look at, uh, over the years, there were so many uh, who weren't long hitters. Corey Pavin, certainly in our time, uh, you know, who weren't really long hitters of the ball, but they were were master craftsmen with the other club. Uh, And that's kind of gone away a little bit now. You, If you don't hit the ball, 295, 300 yards on the PGA Tour, it's very hard for you to win on certain golf courses and certainly very hard to win on major championships, except for perhaps the, the, the Open Championship because that's still played on a course that's not, you know, 7,700 yards. <laughs> there goes all, all my chance of ever winning on the PGA Tour with my 220-yard <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> power slice. <laughs> <I know>. let's, <laughs> let's finish up by talking a little bit about team golf then, if that's okay. And I'm always fascinated, Nick, to get the, the, the thoughts of somebody who's played the game to the very highest level, who's been at the summit of the rankings, who's won major championships, and who was never eligible for the Ryder Cup because they're neither yeah. European nor American. As a neutral, what's your take on the event? Because we get very passionate about it. But as a neutral, what's it like? I think it's it's fantastic. I mean, um, it's great theatre. Over the years, it's grown in stature. I think when they changed the format to include the Europeans back in the early 80s, that was a huge shot in the arm for the Ryder Cup. Um, And then over the years, you know, the European tours just got stronger and stronger. 
Um, and uh, it, it's amazing, you know, the camaraderie that both teams have. And I, I'm not just going to single out one because they both, both those teams are, 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 are so, uh, so in, in joy winning that event. And again, certainly the, the happiness and the joy comes out when you see them in tears after winning. So, mm. uh, but we felt most of us, you know, back in the late seventies and early eighties, People were talking about, look at this, this is professional golf. Look, everyone thinks it's about the money they're making. Here's, there's no money. Look how hard they're trying. Look how emotional. And people don't realize that Zimbabweans or South Africans or Australians or Japanese or Asians, we wanted to be a part of that as well. Mm. And, you know, hence the President's Cup started. But it, it's, it's a little different because, uh, you know, the U.S. versus the rest of the world outside of Europe, it's very hard for us to get uh, a lot of momentum from camaraderie. You know, uh, you, you have to have like that country or tour sort of mentality to play against the, the U.S. team. And, and we, we struggled with that. We really did. And I'm thinking, you know, over the next few years, uh, in fact, I spoke to, uh, sorry to get off the Ryder Cup for a minute here, but I spoke to Mike Weir the other day and I said, you know, one of the things that I think would really help the President's Cup on the international side would be to put two guys from the same country together. So if you're a Japanese player, you have a Japanese flag on your golf bag, on your, you have a red and white outfit and whatever. And if you're from Australia, you wear the green and gold, um, you know, and you have an Australian, the kangaroo and the flag on your bag. And you have the South African guys, the same thing. And I think it's much easier if you have two guys from South Africa playing two guys from the U.S. Yeah. You have a Japanese guy or you have an Asian guy playing with a guy from South Africa. Even though they may be good friends, there's not that same country patriotic sort of spirit in there. Yeah, so I, absolutely. Sort of said, I said to Mike Weir, I said, you, you know, try that next time because we've tried just about everything else. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we still get it. But it's, it's a wonderful thing. People don't understand team golf and team match play and an event like the Ryder Cup is just unbelievable uh, emotion to be a part of it. And, you know, the President's Cup obviously doesn't have that length of and depth of, of, of uh, time you know, that, that the Ryder Cup has. But it's, it's certainly a, a wonderful thing to play in, and especially in front of, you know, when you go to Korea or you go to South Africa or Australia. Yeah, absolutely right. I guess it's about identity a little bit as well, isn't it, for, for the President's Cup? But, you know, you, you've been involved in that match many times, both as a player and as a captain. It's the, the million-dollar question, and you've kind of alluded to it a little bit by the advice that you've given uh, Mike Weir ahead of his captaincy this year. But how important is it that the international side breaks the duck this year at Royal Montreal and gets the win? How, how critical is that? Well, it's, it's, I, I think... You know, it's, from a public interest, it, it's been waning for a while. Uh, it really has. And, it's, you know, what made the Ryder Cup so phenomenal is the fact that it was competed and closely competed through those the period of time, the 80s and 90s and the 2000s. Um, you know, it, it, you've got to have that cup switching hand. It's got to be exchanging teams and victories and or the victors. Um, and, and it's got to be closely contested. Everybody that watches the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup wants it to come down to the last match on Sunday and to one putt or two putts, one from one player and one from the other player. 
You know what I'm saying? That's mm. what we watch it for. That's why we watch Formula One. We watch 2020 cricket. We want to see the last ball. Guy's got to score a four to win, whatever it may be. That's why we watch. So when a guy or a team wins by a street, it's really no fun at all for either the, you know either the victors. Well, the victors don't really mind, but the vanquished, it's it's very hard mm-hmm. when you get beaten by by big points. But you know what? That's what seals you up and fires you up for the next time round. Absolutely right. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed to get across the line this year. I I can't speak for all of Europe, but I think I'm fairly confident in saying that the vast majority of us want the internationals to win. Just it, we're just so used to seeing the Americans lose when when it comes to team golf now. So it'd be nice to see the internationals get a taste of that action yeah. as well. <laughs> anyway, well, Nick, look, it would that, be a nice win for it. It would be great to see it happen. Anyway, Nick, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for for sharing some of your thoughts. And please do come on again sometime soon. It'll be a pleasure. Thank you so much, Michael. What an absolute gentleman. Many thanks to Nick Price. What a top man. And as I said at the top, Alex, maybe just a little bit, a little bit underrated. Do you think that's fair to say about his career? I can't argue with that. Can't argue with that at all. Uh, incredible record. Just th- there's a lot of players like him, isn't there, who we sort of fly under the radar from that sort of era uh, because you know it's a YouTube sport now. <laughs> <laughs> Smash that like. <laughs> Smash that like. Bryce, you're as we've noted a lot bit older than us, but joking apart, listen, joking how many apart, times, joking apart, joking. That's a proper point I'm making. Listen, how Nick many Price times was probably are you going to point out that I am old? Are than us, but Nick Price was more your sort of era. I can't say I really have too many clear memories of him, but for me and Alex's benefit, how good was he? I have some. He was an incredible ball striker, and he won the Open. What, what did he win the Open? 90, 94, 94 yeah. at Turnbury. That's right, isn't it? 94 at Turnbury, I think. Let me check that. It was. I remember he broke Jesper Parnovic's heart. Um, yeah, he was a great Pure player. Jesper. Pure Jesper. Um, yeah, he was a great player, but I mean, listen, when you go and you go and look back at golf from like 1987 all the way to like 1997, it was a very different world mm. before Tiger came on the scene. You know, there's a lot of things you can look at Sandy Lyle's record and, and be perplexed at times and be amazed at mm. times. It was so competitive to be at the top back then. You really had to be very, 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 very good. Mm-hmm. But the game was different then, you know. And yeah, real ball strikers, real ball strikers uh, survived and uh, he was one of them. He was one of them, wasn't he? Anyway, yeah, thank you very much to to Nick Price for his time. If you enjoyed that, go and leave us a review. Tell us what you thought about it. Get in touch with us on social media. We're on X, formerly known as Twitter. I think everyone's required to say that now. Formerly known as Twitter, at The Bunkered Pod. Let us know your thoughts on what Nick had to say. Absolute gentleman. Right then, Podder of Merit. <laughs> and yeah. we've got a little bit of a uh what's what's the word uh snafu what's the snafu situation normal all <clears throat> up it's i think this qualifies as a snafu a wh- i'm true. sorry a it, what just go with it basically steve the ref has made a blunder here yeah we've had steve. a var check on this one steve got in touch with bryce to confirm that Bryce had won this season. If you remember last week, Bryce was on 13 points. It's the first of 15. And Steve advised Bryce that he had won 
the week at the Phoenix Open. Therefore, got the two points. And to I get took to great pleasure in announcing that I'd won Border a minute <laughs> across my world on social, and uh, turns out I haven't. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. So a bit of a VAR check, a wee bit of a. He's he's had what we call in Scotland a Willie Column moment. <laughs> 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 or a Dave, is it David Dickinson? He's the, the is David not David uh, Dickinson? Who's, oh. the, who's the Rangers supporting referee? Oh, there's a lot of them. There's a, there's a lot of them. <laughs> I think we'll just go with a Willie Collum. Willie Collum. Yeah, that, I think that fits the uh, bill. He's had a bit of a situation. Uriah Rennie. He was the ref back in the day. I was going to say, he's not a Rangers fan. <laughs> <laughs> Does it sound the like a guy with the eyes? Luigi Kalina. Yeah, you wouldn't get him making this kind of no, mistake. He, he wouldn't make these mistakes. But our Steve did. And it's I'm a mistake. Glad, and I've I've realised I'm now glad that we're not paying Steve <laughs> to be Steve the ref. Uh, Surely, based on our discussion earlier about Jordan Spieth, you two now want Steve the ref booted off of Potter of Merit, and I want to keep him. No, listen, just give let, him a little listen. We accepted with Spieth. <laughs> we accepted with Spieth that we all make mistakes. Yeah. And Steve, there are consequences. Sent, for yeah. Mistakes. Steve sent me a message this morning saying. I'm sorry, I've made you look a bit silly. Look, he admits his error. Mm-hmm. I accept <laughs> his apology, and we will be doing Podder for at least another week. <laughs> now, this is why we don't announce things on social till we do the show. There's no, a lesson we, there. No, we can. You were just too excited. I was you? very, very excited. So I thought I'd won. The blunder was this. Steve thought that Bryce picking Wyndham Clark for the Phoenix Open, that he had got the two points because of his tied for 41st finish. What Steve didn't realise was, or erroneously ballsed up, was that I had Sam Burns, who finished in a tie for third. Alex, meanwhile, picked Jason Day, who, remind me, Alex, Jason Day wasn't even in the field at Phoenix. Jason Day was in the field when I picked him. Oh, so he withdrew. Okay. I don't know. So he was, he was on the list when I picked him. Basically, I get the two points, Bryce gets one, and Alex, you get zero, I'm afraid. So as it actually stands, Bryce, you're on 14 points, Alex, you're on eight, and I am now on eight points. So, Bryce, you haven't won it just yet. <laughs> just got a message from Steve that says, I'll understand if I get sacked. <laughs> It's going before a committee. That's yeah. what he's going to have to do. But yeah, it's it's not quite done and dusted yet. A point is enough for you this week, however, at the Mexico Open. All you need to do is finish ahead of one of us. Yes. Not both, just the one yes. will do it. So Alex, a bit of pressure on you and I. And unfortunately, you're getting the last pick. So let's try and make these ones count. The honour is mine. And I am going to go with Tony Finau. That is my man for Mexico this week. I don't really know why, but I just have a... Because he's a defending champion? Well, there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even know that, did you? I think I've cracked your code. (laughs) (laughs) It's Tony Four weeks in a row you've picked the defending champion. (laughs) There's method to the madness. Ah... So yes, I'll go with I'll go with uh, Tony Fino. Bryce, you get to go next. EVR. Ah, interesting. Because I I am a firm believer in the bunkered bounce. Yeah, the bunkered bounce is a, thing. is a real thing. Any player that is interviewed by yours truly 
gets a bounce mm. on tour. It's like when a team, football team, fires its manager. The team then does well afterwards because all the players have much to prove. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe in the bunker bounce. And he's in the latest issue. His interview is brilliant. And I believe... Thank you. Uh, thanks, Alex. Uh, thanks for doing that. And I believe he's going to bring me Podder of Menet. Got a good record as well. I think it was he not a shot off the lead at the halfway stage in Mexico last year. He might have been. So, yeah, yeah okay. And he won, obviously won in Mexico in November, the Worldwide. What's it was called? The Worldwide Technology Tournament, or whatever it's called. Yeah, the old Mayakova. Um, was was Mexico last year? Was that not the one with the bees? I think so. Was it? I'm sure it was the swarm of bees that attacked all the players and they had to hit the deck. <laughs> anyway, so Alex, who are you going with? Who's your pick? Well, I was going to go with EVR for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. It's probably worth noting that the uh, for, that he actually missed a cut over the weekend in the first tournament since the magazine went on sale. So I don't know how loose we're playing with the bunkered bounce, but um, Pretty loose. I have done my <laughs> usual thing of just <laughs> scrambling around for a uh, second pick because obviously I knew I was going to be third. Uh, and... I did my usual thing of just scouting the tipsters of the world, of the golf world, and Taylor Pendrith is the name that's popping up a couple of times. So Alex, there we go. We need the point this week, right? I, I need you to get at least one point. And Michael, you're me Taylor just, let, just let the guy pick his player yep. and shut up. Let him have Taylor, his man. I've never, I've him never, wanted, I've never wanted a game to be over more than I want this game to be over. If Taylor so, Pendrith walked past you in the street, Alex, would you recognise him? I don't know, what's he wearing? <laughs> don't know, what's he look like? <laughs> that is the man that you are putting he, all our hope where's on. Where's Taylor? Well, the name like Taylor, he's got to be American, doesn't he? You can, you can slam me on next week's pod. Taylor Pendrith, let's have a look. He's from Wisconsin or something like that, isn't he? Uh, he is 32 years old. He's Canadian. Oh, he's got to go out. He's got to go out and win. Is the current world going number good. 86. Oh, no, that's not right. Where about yeah, Canada is he from? Let's learn about Taylor Pendrith. Taylor Pendrith is from Richmond Hill in Canada. His parents are Daryl mm. and Jill. He was educated at Kent State University and his sister is Jennifer. Yep. He's 1.85 mm-hmm. metres tall and 93 kilograms mm-hmm. in weight. He won twice in the PGA Tour Canada in 2019. And he's going to win on the PGA Tour Mexico this week. Well, let's hope so, eh? Let's hope so. So... It is Fino for me, EVR, Eric Van Rooyen for Bryce, and Taylor Pendrith for you, Alex. Bryce, this time next week, we could be popping the champagne corks in your honour. Thank There's you. Right, let's finish with Honesty Box. And we've talked about Dream 4 balls relentlessly, and it's just a bit, who would you really like to play with? But no, let's flip that in its head. Nightmare 4 balls. If you could pick three people to never play golf with. If it was your, if you walked up onto the tee on, say, Pebble Beach, just you, and the starter says, here are your three playing partners. Who are the worst three people that you could see? It doesn't have to be golfers, although that's allowed to. Alex, who are your three and why? Do you want names of people that exist or do you want types of golfers that we play names with? Names of people that exist. Oh, Christ. I just I was I've been thinking back through the years of people that I've been paired with in the sort of you know when we go to these media events in particular when you get paired with people you've perhaps not met before I mean I played with a guy a couple of years ago I can't remember what event it was but 
I think it was at Huddersfield Golf Club, and this guy was just. It was. It was right around the time the whole uh, taking the knee thing was becoming a thing in football. Oh yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, this guy just gave it all. Like he was like, oh, I'm not. He was. I think he, I, if I recall, he was a big Huddersfield Town fan, and he was giving it the whole like, oh yeah, I was booing the knee. Like I'm not having that. It's all just gone woke and all this. Booing so he the is knee. One. I don't want to ever play. I don't want to be in the same room as that guy ever again, let alone play golf with him. Can't remember his name. Don't care. He's my first. Imagine being uh, so triggered by somebody kneeling on the ground that you have the spontaneous reaction of booing On a similar note, and uh, again, a bit perhaps a bit more topical, and I don't know if he's still going because I muted him quite a long time ago, but I'm going to put Joey Barton in there. Got no interest in, again, being in the same room as that prick, let alone playing 18 <laughs> holes with him. Uh, who else? Oh, let's just, let's anyone, just keep on that. So, so you're going for quite right wing figures here. <laughs> yeah, the guys with flags in the bio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. absolutely. Well, on that, on that, on that sense, let's just throw in a, a Katie Hopkins or a Piers mm. Morgan show. Yeah, yeah, let's get one of those guys in. Liz right Trust, Boris could, Johnson. Yeah. Don't want to. Rishi yeah. Sunak. I mean, yeah, you I mean, may give three. I mean, not as five. Rishi, save some Rishi for the rest of us. I'll bring some uh, junior clubs for Rishi Sunak to play with. Got no interest in playing with any of those. Okay. Bellends. You okay, Alex? You all right? No, I'm actually annoyed at the question and annoyed <laughs> at my answers. Bryce, your three. Jermaine Jenas. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that is all over. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Great show. Just Brilliant. Mega, mega bland. Oh, he's the worst. He was the one that said, you know, he did a video and yeah, you show respect for referees and, you know, we just need to, it's about time you showed respect. And it was like three weeks later, he was on calling the referee a fanny and stuff on Twitter. <laughs> this guy's a moron and all this stuff. And I thought, yeah, you're the moron. <laughs> uh, and he's ruined the one show. He has. He's ruined it's it. It's unwatchable. Good now. magazine show and he's ruined it because you just know he's trying so hard to be a nice guy. Uh, and you don't have to try to be a nice guy. You are, you aren't. Yeah. Tosser. Uh, Jake Humphrey. Oh my word! Uh, two for two, by the way. Right out, right. Uh, that's not. I know uh, there's a lot of people listening, going, "Yeah, he's right." <laughs> um, imagine you turned up a media day and you had oh, to play no. golf with Jake Humphrey. You know why he wouldn't be there though? Because he's doing his podcast. It's too busy in the comfy chair. It's too busy in the comfy chair. Move to another country. Ask that girl out in the office you've already f- you fancied. It's like. <laughs> Madness. Oh, he's, he's an idiot. He's, his complete absence of self-awareness is something to believe. Uh-huh. My advice to anyone listening, when you finish listening to the show, go and Google Jake Humphrey, David Ginola, and let the internet do the rest. Yeah. Let that algorithm kick in. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's two? Him. Well, two in the interests of, I've got, I've got a woman in there. It's the interests of uh, Alex's woke world that we're living in. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be nice. What woman do I hate? What woman do I hate? <laughs> There's the title of the podcast. I think. Actually, no, I like, I can't think of any woman that I wouldn't want to play golf with. I'm just trying to be nice, but for diversity issues, I think it's going to be all men. Okay. You know what? Can I think on it? Can you give me yeah, yours yeah. and then I'm going to think well, on it? I'll, I'll give me some of the answers from, just from gonna, social media. just going to pour the depths of my hatred and figure <laughs> a really good name that I want to batter with a golf You're club. just spoiled for choice, really, yeah, aren't you? Yeah. So whilst you're doing that, Bryce, some of the answers from social media and then I'll give you mine. So we asked this question on the Bunkered Facebook page. Facebook.com forward slash Bunkered online. Lots of de- debate and discussion. 
the, I think the timing of the post, let me see, was a, yeah, it was Sunday night. That may have had an influence in the fact that almost without exception, Patrick Cantley's name came up. Oh, that. Brilliant golfer, but dull. Uh, yeah, Billy Horschel was a recurring theme for some reason. Really? I, yeah, I, That's I really odd. Billy Horschel. He's a really nice guy. I like really Billy Horschel. Really, guy. Yeah. And Donald Trump's name came up rather a lot as well. But uh, yeah, so Andrew McIntyre. Andrew McIntyre said, I expect Alessandro Bernabe to feature on Bryce's list. <laughs> <laughs> he's not number three though, is he? I'm sure there's somebody <laughs> no, he's, else. He's not number three. Who is that, please, for us non-Scottish people? He's a... Uh, a player that's allowed to wear a strip and play in a left-back position, but I wouldn't call him a footballer. <laughs> <laughs> so Graham Bickley, his three. Pat Perez, as I can't take him seriously. Paige Spirinac, mm. as she will be stopping every five minutes for a photo shoot. And Tyrrell Hatton, as his swearing would have me in stitches the whole way around and I wouldn't be able to concentrate. Carl Gordon, Mickelson, Norman, Westwood. There's a bit of a theme there. Stuart Smith, Donald Trump, Nick Faldo and Patrick Reed. although Donald and Patrick might get on okay. James Weaver, Justin Trudeau, that's the Canadian Prime Minister, isn't it? Patrick mm -hmm, Reed yep. and Gavin Newsom. Who is Gavin Newsom? Is he not a newsreader? Is he? Gavin Newsom. Newsom. I'm going to Google it. Someone do that for me. Reading out some more. Yeah, Pierre Gauthier. Brilliant name, Pierre. Sean Connery, Dean Martin and Nelly. Nelly as, as a, a singer. The rapper singer. with the plaster on his face. The guy with the plaster on his face. Yeah. What a bizarre Gavin, trio. Gavin Newsom is an American politician. Is it that Gavin Newsom? Or is it? Ah, yeah, right. Uh, that would make he's sense. He's the governor of California. So he's got, again, he's got him and Trump. They, they're all going down my route. I like this. Ross Fergus is maybe coming at it from a similar but opposite place to you, Alex. Joe Biden, Barack Obama, and Hamza Yusuf, or except he called them useless, slash Nicholas Sturgeon. Mm -hmm. David Barnes, Patrick Cantley, Patrick Reed, and Tiger Woods because he'd bugger off after a couple of holes. And then this one. So someone, Andy Moore, said, you three with a bunch of smiley faces, which is obviously intended for us. It's fine, we, we, we don't want to play with you either, Andy. So clear off. But well, we'd have him in stitches for all of us swearing. So, <laughs> but fine. Paul Monroe said, any golf influencer from YouTube, David Fairty, Bill Murray, and Bryce Ritchie. <laughs> but I'm going to throw Bosh. this one back at Paul. That would make it a five ball. We asked for three names and you gave us four. Paul's not the brightest. Paul, like Jordan Spieth, would be DQ'd. <laughs> so, that's some Bill of the... Murray was, Bill Murray is one, though. Like I've, I've heard a lot of stories about him being a massive prick on the golf course. So I, I love him because he's, he's someone, I, I love him to pieces. He's one like genuinely in terms of cinema, like one of my favourite people. But he's I, I wouldn't play with him purely on the basis that if he if he did turn out if the rumours did turn out to be true, I'd just be incredibly disappointed. Yeah, but angry. Illusions, never just disappointed. So Bryce, it's back to you for your third. I think one of the I'll take a generic person, anyone that is in any sort of like Love Island big brother type tv show which in my opinion has just degraded society and brought our brain cells down to the lowest form they've ever been in human history and if i had my way all those people would be left on an island without access to a ship or swimming armbands or whatever food or water and be left out there to fend for themselves essentially what we tried to do with australia basically 
and then they invented boats. Just them and their Fiat 500s on a on yeah. island. I just, I cannot, I cannot stomach those people. So I think if I had to walk out with like, whatever they're called, it was something like Josh or something like that. <laughs> I would kill myself. So when you I would think actually of, I would kill them first, then kill myself. When you think of obnoxious reality TV personalities, yeah. who do you think of? Just any, anything on Big Brother. I yeah. don't watch it, so I don't know their names. But I just nasty Nick. Nasty Nick. <laughs> nasty Nick. I cannot stand it. I, I hate that type of TV. It's banned in our house. It's not allowed. Lowest and common denominator, mush. Not allowed in my house. Yeah. Okay. I... I'm going with three individuals who are very, very familiar to both of you. Bryce, I know that you despise them as much as you love them. Alex, I think you're in the same place. They have 870,000 followers on Instagram. Oh, you're going with the family. <laughs> Correct. What? The Imagine you had to play golf with the three of them. So you've just shown up at Pebble Beach. You've oh. saved for years, right? You've saved for years. It's a once-in-a-lifetime trip to play that golf course. You rock up. It's a beautiful day for golf. The conditions yeah. are perfect. Well done. You're feeling good about yourself. Your game's in good shape. You have a brilliant warm-up session. Hold a few putts in the putting green, and you think, not only am I going to play Pebble Beach, I'm going to shoot the course record. You walk onto the first tee. The starter comes over, shakes your hand, and he is just brilliant. Top bloke. Welcome to Pebble Beach Golf Links. You're in for the round of your life. Such a pleasure to see you here. Here are your three playing partners, and uh -huh. those three goons dance onto the team. Uh, you'd absolutely die inside. Oh, uh, I wouldn't play. I'd go in and I'd ask for a refund. So it's the family F A M I G H. Yeah. yeah, just awful. And they awful, awful, awful scene. It's essentially a dad and his two young adult sons who yeah grown men sons <laughs> who do dances on social media these coordinated choreographed routines that just make me die inside every time i see it i'm all for people dancing it's a great way to express yourself and to are you a good dancer i have never seen you dance i bet you i see your face right now you have the look of someone that well i can dance you look as though you think you can dance Okay. <laughs> he can't dance. Put it this way, I'd love to go on Strictly. See the Argentine tango? God, that's another load of crap. I, I, I would nail I think if you got tango. onto Pebble and you were with those three guys, I think as soon as you get near a cliff, you take your first <laughs> opportunity. What would you do? Jump off it or push them? Yeah, like you got to take your first opportunity and just accidentally you know, nudge one of them. I didn't know they existed until you brought them into my world about two years ago. I remember we were just sitting downstairs at our desks and you turned the phone around and you're just like, <sighs> look at these. And honestly, it was the worst thing I've ever seen. It's it's dreadful. It's dross. And it shouldn't be allowed. It's stuff like that that makes me think Instagram and TikTok should be shut it should, down. It shouldn't be allowed. And um, there's a good reason why Trump tried to ban TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> he blamed, he blamed uh, China. <laughs> He's quite right. Because in China, TikTok is, it promotes like intelligent, you know, stuff about yeah. science and yeah. maths and stuff. And all the kids are just growing up being mega clever. Mm. Ours are growing up dancing to, yeah. and eating watsits and stuff like that. It's just nonsense. Did you see the one last week of a guy on an airplane mid-flight? Dancing. Dancing. Up oh, I'm, I'm convinced 
that's not real. That cannot be real. I don't know. I mean, if it's not real, then why is it happening? Then the reactions of the people on board they deserve Oscars for being great. But I think somebody said that wouldn't be allowed, and the air hostesses, it's not safe. That would like somebody would say, mind you, how would you stop it? Only lasted twenty seconds or something. You just uh, look. I'm. I feel as though I need to go for a shower. The family have ruined your day. I would, I would say check them out. Don't. Don't. Don't, don't check them out. Don't check them out. It's, it's awful. And they they are absolutely the worst three people I could play golf with. <laughs> the, the worst thing that's happened with them as well is that they've, they've, become, like they've released videos where they're, they're clearly self-aware of all the shit they get. Yeah. And that just makes it worse for me. Like, just, just own your dickheadness. Just own it. Own the fact that we hate you. <laughs> Don't imagine, double down. Imagine living next door to that. I must be chronic. You're out there just enjoying your garden. Just you looking look over out the, the window. Fence. Some oh, tit is dancing in a, in a shell suit with his dad. Dad! Dad! <laughs> we've got to film another one. Yeah. Yeah, that one. The Dua Lipa song, Dad. Oh, God. Awful. Like Horrendous. Like the, anyway, dad, the dad does videos on his own. The dad does does stuff he? On he's his a drummer own. in yeah, a band. He's, he's a drummer in a covered band. Of course he is. Yeah, he's a drummer of in a covered band. Of course. That makes so much sense. Yeah. So much sense. That's why he's doing it. Because he's got drummer, invisible he's got, side, he's got a side hustle. Yeah. What's the band? Don't know. I'm not telling you. <laughs> Please don't. Well, I can't talk about them any longer. It's actually now starting to make me angry. So... Listen, get in touch if you've got your own Nightmare 4 Balls at TheBunkeredPod on Twitter or X. Send us a DM if you'd prefer to do it that way as well. Our DMs are open. Bryce, thank you for your time. A pleasure as always. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Maybe next week you could host. You up for that? Listen, everyone wants it. Alex, you up for a wee hosting session sometime? Give the people what they want. Not next week, but maybe sometime. <laughs> oh, give the people what they want. Just but not, not next, next week. week. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got time for that next week. Yeah, let, let's let's mix it up because, yeah, why not? Anyway, thank you, gents, for your time. Thank you to Nick Price for his absolutely brilliant to have Nick on the show. Thank you, Callaway, for your continued support. And thank you to you for listening. Do not Google the family. Repeat, do not Google the family. Until <laughs> next week, bye-bye for now.